Broadcasting live from our satellite studios in Chicago, Illinois, it's time for the special on-the-road edition of Learning Insights, featuring learning professionals who are improving performance and driving business results. Welcome to another exciting and informative edition of Learning Insights. I'm your host, Stone Payton, and in the studio with me this afternoon is my good buddy and co-host, Lee Cantor. How are you holding up over there, buddy? I am doing A-OK, and I am fired up about this interview, Stone. Well, I knew you would be. We're going to get a chance to visit with the Vice President, Organization Development, and Chief Talent Officer. That's a, that's a lot of stuff to put on a business card. <laughs> I know. That's like three <laughs> business cards. With Hospira, please join me, and welcome to the broadcast, Miss Dr. Pam Per year. How are you? Great. Thanks so much. Well, we are delighted to have you, Doc. What, uh, what kind of doctoring do you do in the organizational development effectiveness arena? Is that organization right? development, yes. Organizational psychology. As my niece is saying, I'm not a real doctor. Oh, uh, I, I beg to differ. I, I've seen enough uh, pathology in organizations <laughs> to know that it requires a real doctor, and no doubt you, uh, you are it. So uh, give us a, a quick overview. Uh, the, your role, your your day-to-day -day activity over there at Hospira. Right. So I am responsible for organization development. I report into the CHRO, the head of human resources. I run a center of excellence or expertise, COE, that I always say basically covers everything except for hiring the folks and paying the folks. So once we get them in, I'm responsible for the learning programs, the performance management systems, working on culture and engagement, change management, all the stuff that happens from the time they get hired until they uh, actually get their all of their total rewards, compensation, and benefits. Now, Haspira, can you talk a little bit about uh, what you guys are up to over yeah, there? Yeah, sure. We are the world's uh, leading provider of injectable drugs and infusion technologies, which is a fancy way of saying we make intravenous medications and the pumps and devices that are associated with delivering that medication. So learning's important in that environment. I, would <laughs> I, want, I want the people touching that stuff to be learned. So I would argue that learning is important anywhere. but Especially when it comes to healthcare, yeah. I would imagine. Absolutely. In the healthcare field, you want people that are engaged and committed and accountable because we're making life-saving medications that you do not want errors. Sure. Now, uh, when you're creating or developing uh, learning, how does that come about? Is that coming up from the, the bottom up, or are you guys from the top down, or are you developing the learning? So, I mean, I like to think of it more as a kind of a partnership between the learning team and our business leaders. And, you know, one of the questions that I'm often asked is, how do you sell the leaders on your great learning ideas? How do you, you know, get them to commit the, the resources and to allow people to attend your learning programs? And I feel like if you start off with the business leader, partnering with them, understanding what their needs are, and designing solutions that meet those needs, you're not really selling. So I don't know that I think of it as top-down or bottom-up, more kind of a outside-in so partnership thing. But with you're the like leaders. kind of a strategic resource for them, or, or you're at the table with them so that you're working hand-in-hand. -hand. So it isn't somebody saying, hey, do this, and right. then you're like, okay, right. it's, you're collaborating. Right. So it's, I think it's a much more collaborative process where... Um, because I'm, you know, there with the business leaders, understanding what their business needs are, I'm able to help identify solutions that are going to help them meet the needs of their of their people from a learning and development standpoint. Now, can you share maybe an example where that's occurred, where they, where you were there and you collaboratively landed on something, and, mm -hmm. and maybe they hadn't, hey, we should do it this way, and you're like, you know what, maybe we should do it this way instead, and and then you were able to execute that. Sure. So, 
I guess a, a recent example of that would be a, what's a, really a culture transformation program more than just a learning program. It's mm -hmm. all about uh, creating the culture that we believe will help drive business performance for Hospira. And one of our senior leaders had identified that culture was an issue in his part of the business. And So what does that mean, culture is an That issue? there were certain um, aspects of how people behave and perform that he wanted us to look at driving some different kinds of behavior. So, for example, having people be accountable and responsible for delivering the components of the work that right. they're responsible for delivering. So we had identified several cultural anchors or behaviors that we we're trying to drive in the business, and the question was how to make that happen, through what kind of programming, through what kind of learning opportunities, through what kind of development. And so we partnered, he and I and others, to come up with a two-day workshop called Making a Difference at Hospira mm -hmm. that helps our leaders understand how they create a culture of engagement, of accountability, et cetera, and how they can continue to cascade that throughout their teams and their organization. Now, you've been an external practitioner. Correct. And now an internal practitioner. Uh, got to be some differences, got to be some similarities. Can you just speak to that whole journey a little bit, if you would? Sure, yeah. So prior to joining Hospira for 12 years, I was an independent organization development consultant, so external to my clients. For the past five years, I've been with Hospira. And interestingly, it's not as different as you might think that there were a lot of um, lessons that I learned as an external that I brought into my role as an internal, uh, an internal provider of services as an OD leader. And I think, you know, the basics are the basics. The fundamentals are the fundamentals. So um, one of the things that I found as an external that I apply internally as well is that it starts by listening, listening to your clients, whether they're internal or external, listening and learning about what their needs are. Um, really focusing on identifying kind of what the root cause is of the problems that they're experiencing. And once you understand that, you can help create solutions to solve those problems. And but you don't want to go, you, you don't want it to be superficial, right? You want to get kind of dig in there and get to the root causes and right. not, it may seem like it's something, but you got to ask a few more questions Absolutely. and listen a little harder to Absolutely. get to the core of it. Right. right? So it isn't like a listen once and, and act. I got it. <laughs> right? right. It's not listen once and act. It's more of a sort of iterative process back to the you know notion of collaboration mm -hmm. that oftentimes when people come to you with challenges, they don't necessarily even know themselves what the root cause is. Right. Sometimes they think they know the solution, but until you really get in and, as you say, ask questions and ask more questions and listen. What are some of the questions you ask in order to kind of get to the the root cause of so, the issue? Yeah, I mean, I think you certainly want to stay away from yes or, yes or no questions, right? Mm -hmm. You want to get into questions that are really going to get people talking and opening up and sharing the information that's going to help you diagnose what their particular challenge is. So you're a doctor. You should I'm diagnose a doctor, so You're diagnosing di all the time. Di <laughs> diagnostic <laughs> skills are important skills in my business as an internal or as, as an external. Because um, you really have to get in and understand, you know, what is what are the issues? And so the questions are, excuse me, questions like, um, you know, what problems are you experiencing in this area? What impact is that having on your business performance? And simple questions like, how can I help? Mm -hmm. How can I help you um, come to find a solution that's going to work for you and the business and, and your team? So when you find yourself and or internal, external clients mm -hmm. faced with an opportunity or a challenge, mm -hmm. I mean, you're a big advocate of this, this whole idea of, of changing the conversation. Mm -hmm. um, so talk more about, I mean, is there, is there specific methodology for that or is it just more of a mindset of doing what you can to 
to uh, help people shift their perspective a little bit so they can be more productive. So, yeah, speak to that a little bit. Yeah, so, I mean, I talk about changing the conversation because I think that oftentimes people that do work such as what I do um, don't ask the right questions and are just uh, trying to jump into action too quickly and maybe deliver exactly what the person asked for without going through the whole process of asking, listening, diagnosing, uh, finding root cause, and coming up with solutions. And so... Changing the conversation really is about, you know, don't go in selling your services. Go in and address their needs. And the only way to address their needs is to ask good questions and to listen and to design to solutions that are going to make sense for them. So I guess I advocate this whole notion of changing the conversation because it does start with a mindset shift that you're going to be more customer-centric, more customer-focused. It's going to be more about the customer than it is about what products and services you have in your backpack. Um, and once you change that mindset, it just leads you down a whole different path of, of exploration with your clients. So that sounds like kind of a rookie mistake in that saying that, look, I can do these three things, mm -hmm. so I'm going to make my answer one of those three things. Mm -hmm. When you got to kind of broaden it a little bit and find out exactly where the pain is that they have and then create that custom solution that okay. addresses it. Yeah, I mean, it it absolutely is a rookie mistake, but I would say it's a mistake that many people kind of carry on long beyond when they start out the business. <laughs> yeah, never, oh, really? You, know, you see that? I, I mean, I see it, and I think that's one of the biggest challenges for people in my space who are asking questions like, how can I get them to take my programs? How can I get them to see the value of what I have to offer? Right. As soon as you start talking about how can I get people to do something, how can I <laughs> sell this, how can I make them understand how this is going to change their world, you're asking, you're in the wrong mindset, and you're asking the wrong questions. So it's not what three services do I have to offer and how can I make them fit for you? It's what do you need and how can I design something that's going to address those needs? There's chances are I have something in my backpack that's going to work for you, but if I present it as such before I understand what your needs are, then it's not going to be received the same way. Um, so it, it's a common problem that I think people in my space have that they spend a lot of time worrying about how can I make people understand and how can I make people believe and how can I get people engaged in what I know is the right thing and it's actually not as hard as it, it might sound if you start with the right questions and take it from the customer point of view. And when you are being customer-centric, mm -hmm. then you're engaging the customer in the solution. Correct. So then they're probably more apt to comply and to, yeah, right? Yeah, and you, in fact, you move away from compliance because you're not asking them to do something that you mm -hmm. think is right. You're asking them, you're partnering with them to do something that they've told you they need. You've just the program together or put the services together. So you move completely out of the selling space. You move completely out of the compliance space. Because you're in the, we're in it together space now. We're in, we're in it together <laughs> space. And my job is to solve your problems. And nobody argues with that. Nobody argues with somebody showed up and is going to help me solve a problem that I'm having. Right. Whereas people do sometimes argue with or get def defensive about, oh, here comes, you know, HR again telling me I've got to do something. So I try to stay away from the, you know, compliance conversations, the you must do kind of conversations and have more of the customer centric conversations. So is there a an OD phone tree or twilight bark or something like all you OD folks say in the Chicago land area, do y'all hang out or <laughs> you start or you start running into some challenges or opportunities in your line of work? Do, do you guys collaborate? I, I view this big network of people in your space, mm -hmm. like you say you know, hanging out together a little bit and helping each other out. Is there some truth to that? Absolutely. I mean, we have 
a lot of you know large companies in the Chicagoland area that have t- people like me. You know, all these companies have OD people, learning and development people. Right. And there are lots of professional organizations that we belong to. And in fact, the person you interviewed just prior to my coming in was someone I met at a an event recently. Oh, you know Anne. We had yeah. met. So <laughs> can't say we know each other, but we had we had met at another event. So right. um, there's a there's a great network of. HR and OD people here in the Chicagoland area, and we definitely do try to get together and stay connected, whether it's in you know at events and programs or through you know social social networking. Well, one of the reasons I ask is I've, now that you've been at this kind of thing a, uh, for a while, mm-hmm. I didn't know if you consciously involved yourself in some mentoring-like relationships or mm-hmm. if you had any formal. And I may not be using the right word, but. I'm going to use mentor till you give me a different mm-hmm. word. Mentoring kinds of relationships, you know, with people either inside the company or mm-hmm. inside the arena, or if you've had the opportunity to profit from those or, or something like them. Right. And then the second part of my question is, um, if you had that and we had them in the studio with us, are there a couple of things you'd share with them? Like, whatever you do, do this and, <laughs> and, and don't do that. So yeah, that's so, my two-part question. Sure. Um, so absolutely, I have mentored and coached other people and I have been mentored and coached and continue to be by others. So I'm sure it's probably not uncommon for people like me who dedicate their lives and careers to learning that, uh, you know, we're continuous learners and we're constantly seeking opportunities to learn from others that have come before us or who have an experience that we have not had. Um, So definitely do mentoring and coaching formally and informally, both in the company and outside of the company. Um, In terms of what advice I give to people. Um, you know, one piece of advice is what we've kind of already talked about, which is this notion of being customer centric and being outside in in your thinking and not getting so wrapped up in what you think you should be doing so that you can engage with your ultimate customer and your ultimate, ultimate client. But it was interesting as I was thinking about this sort of general topic on, on my way over here, I was reflecting on the fact that I actually did my um, dissertation research on the question of of the value of organization development work and interviewed customers and clients to understand well what is it about these people in this field that keeps you bringing them back in to help with some of your challenges and so um, I pulled up some of the notes from that because it's really not so important as I mentor and coach people what I think because I'm not their customer right I do have experience I do have a point of view but if I'm going to really promote this notion that we have to be outside in and customer centric, it's really more important. What do the customers think is important that they do and what are what advice would they get from the from the business leaders? And so some of the things that I, I, I pulled up in my notes were some skills like some of the things we've already talked about, listening, collaborating, asking good questions, but being great uh, presenters, being great communicators, um, having strong client management skills, project management skills. It goes way beyond just having subject matter expertise. You have to be able to communicate around that expertise and do so in a way that your customers and clients can appreciate what you're sharing with them. So there's a whole bunch of skills that really came up from my research that OD people need to focus on or learning and development people. But then there are also a lot of attributes, just how how we are, how we behave. And some of those attributes that were identified were being practical, being credible, being trustworthy. Um, you know, I think it's really important in our business that we focus on building trust with the people that we're trying to help. Otherwise, they're not going to talk to us. They're not going to share the root cause issues that they're right. struggling with. So being practical, credible, trustworthy, calming, 
You know, when people come to me with a problem and I freak out, that doesn't help them. <laughs> that's right. right? So, <laughs> that's a bad sign. When that's a bad sign. freaking on you, that <laughs> is That's not, not good. a good sign. So, so those are some of the words I heard, being responsive, being transparent, being open. So these are all the things that I tell people starting out in this field to kind of focus on because yeah. that's what their customers and clients are looking for from them. Now, can you maybe share some tips on how a person could present in a manner that's customer centric like does that mean getting feedback from the audience how, how would you go about doing that so when you know when i talk about being customer centric um it's really about going from being product focused or being self-focused to being customer focused right and sometimes that means that hey we can't help you right there here's another resource that's better suited right and that right and so that's so so you've read the literature because like <laughs> the, the 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 ultimate customer centricity is I don't have the answer, but I'm going to connect you to the people. Right, that it's have selfless the in the sense right. that you're not. It's not. I'm really looking out for you. Right, and that's. I want the outcome that you want, exactly. and it may or may not include me. Right. So if you think about the four kind of the four levels or the four phases that people go through in getting to ultimate customer centricity, starting by totally product focused. What I've got is what you need. Where we started. Then there's sort of I understand your needs as a customer, but I'm still just going to use that information to target what I've got right. a little bit better. The third is solving their problems, and that's where most people land, and that's great. If you get to level three and you're working with your customers and your clients focused on solving their problems, that's terrific. But kind of nirvana is level four, which you just described, which is, you know what, whatever your needs are, even if I can't help you, I'm going to connect you with the people that can, and that's the ultimate in customer centricity. And I think that's hard particularly for externals who are trying to, you know, make oh, a living. Right, they got rent to pay. Right, got rent to pay. <laughs> but, you know, when you if you go back to the notion of you have to build trust with people, if if I get to the point where I give you a solution where I'm not making money as an external, that you've really created a bond and they're going to oh, pick yeah. up the phone and call me the next time and maybe the next time I've got the the right, program the or service it'll to, be a fit. It'll be a fit. Right. So, if you remember that your job is to serve your customers and to build trust and to help them be successful, then you'll make the right choices, and sometimes that's directing them to someone else. Now, is there anything that you, is there a book or something you've, any resource for somebody who wants to learn more about being customer-centric that you can recommend? So the person that I'm kind of uh, thinking about as I share this learning, the learning that I've had with you, there's a professor from Harvard Business School uh, where I went for my um, master's in business by the name of Sanjay Gulati, and uh, he's written a number of articles and books on the, this topic of customer centricity mm -hmm. that while they were not written for learning people or OD people or HR people, I have found that the principles really apply in the work that we do. And at any time you're in a customer-facing role or a client-facing role, um, thinking about the world in these terms has, I think, been very helpful. So I would definitely direct people to Professor Gulati's work. This has been a very informative conversation for me. The, the only downer for this whole uh, discussion for me is the idea that maybe everybody can't just sign up for a Hospira <laughs> course or, or, or 20 minutes with a doc here, right? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, back in the old days, I was external. It was a different story. Right? So, but, so yeah. if and when the doc here goes external, <laughs> we're going to remember this. We're going to pull out this interview. Uh, no, this is such important stuff, and it and, and genuinely has such a... Uh, uh, an impact yeah. on the bottom line of the organization, doesn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, I certainly hope so. And, you know, coming from a background of 
really business before even getting into this field. This is my second career. Yeah. Um, so having that business foundation, I guess I do think about things as a business leader first. And if it's not going to drive value for the business, it's probably not what we should be doing, you know, within Hospira. Um, we have, we're, we, we're, we're, we're running a business. We're trying to deliver life-saving medications to patients. We've got a, a very uh, big and important calling and all of us, you know, in whatever role we play, whether it's HR or IT, enabling functions, we need to do things that help drive business value. And so my objective in leading the organization development function is to find those opportunities to drive value and create value that are going to serve, you know, the leaders and serve the business and ultimately serve our, our patients. Well, it has been an absolute delight Thank having you. you in the studio this afternoon. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I, it's been my pleasure. All right, until next time, this is Stone Payton for Lee Cantor and everyone here at the Business Radio X family saying we'll see you next time on Learning Insights. This has been a special Business Radio X production brought to you by Training Pros, your source for local learning and development experts. Learn more at training-pros.com. 